Welcome to the second episode of the Free Spirit Academy podcast, where I'll be talking to life coach, author, and the beautiful face of the Perception Trainers channel on YouTube, Ali Washington. Free Spirit Academy is about you being fully you. My name is Randy Moss, and I'm an eating psychology coach and kundalini yoga teacher, bringing you conversations about freedom from rigid diets, painful body image, and never-ending cycles of self-help and self-improvement. This is about honoring our own bodies and our purest self-expression. Welcome to the podcast. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to give a heads up that this interview did take place over a year ago, originally on my YouTube channel, but it was so fantastic that I am doing my best to bring it to the podcast, even though the sound quality probably won't be as high as some of the more recent interviews. And I think this conversation is special because not only is Ali truly one of the wisest humans I've ever met, and her approach to life and spirituality is no fluff, no bullshit. Her experience with disordered eating actually lands on the opposite end of my experience, which made our conversation really interesting, in that she dealt with anorexia. So we talk about her history of diet hopping and perfectionism, the belief that once she was skinny, she would finally be happy, how she balanced an eating disorder while also, or rather I should say, how she balanced healing an eating disorder while also having health issues, and her tendency towards extremes. And in her words, she spent a long period of time either, quote, contemplating the meaning of it all or counting her calories. We talked about gaining weight after anorexia and dealing with an anorexic mind without the anorexic body and how she still persisted. What happened when she got her dream life and still wasn't happy? And what happened when she began refusing to say anything bad about her body? I hope you enjoy this conversation with Allie Washington. So my, my journey with eating disorder, I think, started for me when I was around 14 years old is when I think it really kicked. So basically what happened was I was like a very super sensitive child. And I think that this is a very classical, like a very classical anorexia story. Super sensitive child, very over, like high achieving, just really wanted to do the right thing all the time cared a lot about people, felt like the whole world was suffering and there was nothing I could do about it. And at the same time, felt like there was something really wrong with me that I just couldn't be happy and normal like everybody else. Right. I couldn't just like watch TV and eat chips and like play and have a good life. Like I was just like very stressed out. Like my mom sent me to the guidance counselor when I was in grade one, cause I was so like stressed. <laughs> right. And so that was kind of life. And then in grade, grade five and grade six, no grade six and grade seven, that was like between grade six and grade seven, my very best friend got cancer. So she had, um, a tumor on her head. So it wasn't like brain cancer. It was more surface level, but this was basically just like the, a, a straw that kind of broke the camel's back situation. I think she, so she was sick for an entire year and she was also going through her parents' divorce and she just had a lot of stuff going on in her life. And plus we're like seven years old or however old we are, like 10 and 11 at this point. 
And so she would go away every two weeks for chemotherapy, come back and be like bald and like losing her hair. And, and she had, um, she had a, a line like a, a, an intravenous line that went directly into her heart. So like she couldn't shower and bathe regularly because if water got in there, she would die. So it was like, there was just like a lot of things going on that she couldn't just be like a normal person. So I was constantly trying to like reintegrate her back into our friends group, right? Like to have our friends not just like completely reject her. And at the same time, she was just like, so hurting and so scared and so much going on that like I was like her one place where she could dump all of her shit essentially. So she was basically like she bullied me and I was just like taking it because she's in so much pain and there's so much going on. And then at the same time, my parents don't really understand what's going on with me. And they're like getting mad at me for being so upset or just telling me to stop being her friend or just like, what's wrong with you? Just handle this. So it was like this whole big thing. She recovered and then basically in grade eight, so the year after she recovered, I spent essentially my entire grade eight year on the couch, <laughs> just like done. Like I was just like stomach aches. I had, I got, I developed a cyst on my ovary. I had like bronchial infections. Like I was just sick. I like, I went to school just enough days to pass grade eight. I was just like, I, I crashed. Right. And of course, during this time I ate, I just like sat on the couch and I ate. And so I gained, like, I was always like a very lean kid. I didn't really have a whole lot of body awareness. I wasn't really like a whole lot of body issue. I was always small and I don't know, I just never really thought about it. And then all of a sudden in grade eight, I like pack on all this weight and all my friends, right. The hormones are starting to happen. All my friends are like skinny and pretty and boys like them. And they're like having these fun experiences in grade eight and grade nine. And I'm sitting there just like miserable and chubby and just like, like, so in my mind, this was the problem, right? I'm miserable and I'm so unhappy. And even though I've been miserable and unhappy my entire life, it must be because I'm just not pretty and skinny like the rest of the girls, right? So I go on my first diet in between grade eight and grade nine. And that's when I think life just kind of like snowballed, right? So from, from that time till the time I was like, you know, to <laughs> recovered, my entire world revolved around food and my body and exercise and trying to get my body the way that I wanted it to be. So I was still able to be completely successful in school. I was like, again, like a total running around like a chicken with my head cut off, right? Like I was in all the plays, all the musical theater shows, dance, extracurricular dance, had a job, voice lessons, straight A student, like, right? that kind of, again, classical anorexia overachieving girl. And meanwhile, trying to like grapple with my diet. Right. And so after that kind of like initial first diet, I went on, I lost like 20 pounds. I went from like 140 to 120, which was totally a healthy weight for me. Um, at five foot three, I think is what I am. Um, it just basically for the next four years, that's basically where I stayed, like all throughout high school, I was between like 120, 130 pounds. And, but I was trying desperately to lose weight. Like everything that my entire world was, was how can I get skinnier? How can I get skinnier? And I just could never do it. I could never do it. Like I went on all these different diets and I changed my eating. I cut out wheat, cut out dairy, cut out sugar, cut out, right? 
processed foods. I started cooking for myself. Like I wouldn't even eat the food that my parents made or whatever. Like no more meat and potatoes, no more casseroles, no more pasta, none of that. Like I made all my own food. And then like there was like the protein bar phase, the protein shake phase, the eat right for your blood type phase. There was the Mary Lou Henner total health makeover phase. There was like all of these different things. And then in the summer between grade 11, grade 12. So when I was 17, I, so when I, when I was in grade 11, I donated blood and I was following the blood type diet at the time. And I thought that I was an old blood type. So I thought that I had to eat meat. Right. And I donated blood in grade 11 and it came back that I was actually an A blood type, which are supposed to be the vegetarians. And I had been wanting to be a vegetarian for like a year. And my mom was like, no, you can't be a vegetarian. You're an old blood type. You need meat. It'll make you unhealthy. And so I was like, see, I told you I was supposed to be a vegetarian. Blah blah blah. So I went like vegan overnight. And that felt just like so intuitively right to me. So this is where I think the story can start to have some merit for people is that even though I was totally in the wrong focus, right? Like my focus was I hated myself and it was my body's fault. Like basically that's what it was, right? Like that's essentially what an eating disorder is. I hate myself. I don't like my life. And if I could just change this thing physically in my reality, Mm -hmm. I will feel better. And I just know that I will. The media tells me that I will. My friends tell me that I will. The world is set up to tell me that if I'm just pretty and skinny and acceptable, I will be happy, right? That all of this shit will go away when that happens, right? And again, it's a pervasive message. It's like, no wonder people believe this about themselves because it's everywhere. It's subliminal. It's completely obvious. It's blatant. It's under the radar. It's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So that was what was happening. However, there was still something inside of me that was awake to something, right? So this idea of like not eating animals just made sense to me. And I actually went vegan and then I started doing research. (laughs) It was one of those things where I was just like, this is just the right thing to do. And then I started reading like diet for a new America or whatever. And like started to educate myself on the way that the world works with food and animals. And I was like, Oh, okay. See, I guess this makes sense. Like that's why I don't want to put these foods in my body. Cool. Um, so that was, so I was vegan for about six months and then the summer between grade 11 and grade 12, I just went raw and I was just like, and it was really, again, it was one of those weird things where I just like, I had, I was like so curious about it. I had like read about it on a website online that I literally, okay. So this makes me feel like I'm 150 years old. I read like a a web page about it and I printed it out. (laughs) And like, I had this like printout of this sheet of like what raw food people eat. And I remember taking it to my mom and being like, this is insane. Like, I, like how do people live? Like, how could people actually do this? But there was still something inside of me that was like, I want to do this. Like, I don't know what that was. And so like for, and then I like brushed it off for a year or whatever. And then I had been vegan for six months and I was just like, I really just want to try this raw food thing. And I kind of like tried a couple of days and just totally failed. Like I remember the first day I tried to be a raw foodist, I made the most disgusting salad ever. <laughs> like it was like, I put just like everything in it and it was like flat seeds, 
like ground flax seeds and avocado and lemon and tomato and what and so it was just like this gelatinous mush and I was like this is disgusting like who could be a rhombus so I like went home and ate something cooked right and but then there was just a, this one day I was reading um raw uh, raw food real world mm-hmm. the the first cookbook from pure food and wine yeah 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 and literally I was like this food is so beautiful mm-hmm. this food looks like food to me. Right. I'm never eating cooked food again. I just didn't like, that's basically what happened. Like we, we essentially went on vacation the very next day to Panorama, which is like this ski resort. Mm-hmm. So I'm like completely unprepared to be a raw foodist. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. So essentially that entire week I ate like bananas, almond butter and frozen peas. Like that's what I ate because I was just like, <laughs> that, those were the raw foods we had. And so that was what I ate for the entire week. Cause I just like, was like, I'm done. And then as soon as we got home, I like bought a dehydrator and I made like granola and like mm-hmm. it, it launched me into this like six months of just like, cause I was already like totally obsessed with cooking and making food and da, 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 da. But it was like, there was like this six month reprieve from my eating disorder during my first six months of being a raw foodie where I just felt like this is it. This is the answer. Like, cause the, the other thing was that I, I did suffer with a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. Like I had basically had chronic stomach aches my entire life. Like I was colic as a baby and just never grew out of it. It's basically how I describe mm-hmm. it. Right. I had acne. I had, like I say, hormonal issues. Like I had a cyst on my ovary in grade eight. I had, um, crazy mood swings. Like my body was just really, really, really sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, asthma, chronic sinus infection, like, uh, what lung infections, like stuff, just like ill health, like not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so then I go raw and I didn't have a stomach ache for like six months. Oh. And I was just like, this is the Holy grail. Like I have found it. Like, and there was really even this point in like in that time where I wasn't even that concerned about my weight. Like I really just mm-hmm. was like excited about this food and I felt like I could eat and it was going to nourish me and mm-hmm. I was going to be okay. So there was like this six month, like, bright spot. And then I graduated from high school six months early when I was 18, like direct. So basically I turned 18 on January 30th and I got on a plane to go to Bible school in New Zealand on February 2nd. So four days after I turned 18. So I had just graduated. Um, and I was just kind of like, cause at this point I was just so burned out with life. Like, I, I really feel like I was just kind of that weird, like, I was, like, a very strange, like, zombie creature. Like, I was just, like, getting through grade 12, like, just trying to tie up loose ends, finish my exams, and eat raw foods. And, like, that was kind of, like, I wasn't even, like, struck, like trying to maintain friendships. Like, I was just kind of, like, getting to the end of it. And I had wanted to travel, but my parents were like, there's no way we're letting you just get on a plane when you're 18 years old and just go somewhere around. Like you have to be going somewhere. And we were very Christian at the time. So I went to this Bible school called YWAM, which is youth with a mission. Yeah. And yeah, they're there. So they're all over the world. And again, like I'm under the impression that I'm going to go and like find a whole bunch of like cool friends, my age. And we're going to be like, like it's, I'm finally going to find friends that are like me. And I'm going to like, have this awesome social experience. And we had been corresponding with the people that ran the, the place. And they said that they were totally fine with me being a raw foodist, that they could support that. That was fine. 
And I was like, great, this is going to be like the most amazing thing ever. So I get there and all of the staff, I guess, had turned over between oh. my correspondence and me getting there. So I show up and they had no idea that I was a raw foodist or that I was a vegan or that anything of like this. And they were like, well, like basically part of your tuition to this school is $50 a week go to food. Mm-hmm. And all of that $50 is given to our chef. And she takes all of that money to the grocery store, buys food for everybody and cooks for everybody. So um, they were like, like they kind of like, chatted amongst themselves and decided that okay what they're gonna do is they'll give $30 a week to um the chef and she'll just buy me fruits and vegetables while she's at the store and then they'll give me $20 back each week and I can just fill in the gaps with my own shopping and we were like okay great no problem like that's a super easy thing so we did that for the first couple of weeks and then at the same time I realized that this was kind of like an off-season DTS Mm -hmm. so most of the people in my group were not my age. They were like, so there was like an older family, an older couple, two older single ladies, and then two girls that were my age. And so it was not this like camaraderie that I had expected. Right. And then my like little small group leader, I just was like, (laughs) I am so much more mature than you are. (laughs) Like every time we'd go driving, she'd get lost and then we'd end up on the freeway and she'd be crying and screaming. And I'm just like, I like, I just like did not have time for this. I was like, I'm not. And like, I just, I don't know. And so I get there and, and then same thing, you know, you move halfway around the world to a complete place you've never been before. Totally. You don't know anybody. Da 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 da. I just like was crashing. I just like was panicking. I was emotionally totally all over the place. Like I felt so alone. Like I basically would call my mom every single day and just be like, let me come home. Please let me come home. Please let me. And she'd be like, no, like we told people you were going. We like, we said you were going for six months. You can't come home. We already paid for this. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is the worst thing ever. And then halfway through the DTS, So again, like I totally knew that I was struggling with an eating disorder. Like I knew that I hated myself. I knew that I hated my body. I was desperate to lose weight. Like nothing was working. I just couldn't lose weight. I could like, even with going on the raw food diet, I didn't lose weight. Like everything stayed the same. And then, but like, because I got myself so far out of my comfort zone and went so far around the world and there was nothing to comfort me. So like, this was a thing, like I didn't have activities um, I didn't connect with anybody there cause I was so like in my own head and I just didn't want to. <laughs> and like, I, I had a really hard time like leveling with people my age cause I just didn't care about the things that they cared about. Like I didn't care about clothes. I didn't care about makeup. I didn't care about whatever. I was like, no, it's like, we need to like figure out what like the secrets to the universe are. Like there are so many like more important things that we need to be talking about. And because that wasn't happening, I was just like, well, I'm just going to focus on my body because I don't know what else to do. And so I'm either like, you know, contemplating the, the, the meaning of it all, or I'm calculating my calories. Like those were kind of like my two extremes. And so this is happening and I know that I'm struggling and I'm trying to break out of it. Like I'm trying to like eat some foods that aren't raw foods. And I'm just like, I don't understand why people eat food. Like this sucks. (laughs) And like, just like all of these things are happening And then halfway through the DTS, the leader of the school 
comes to do his little teaching week. So basically the DTS, you have a different teacher every week Mm -hmm. and they teach you on a different kind of like Bible concept. Mm -hmm. And he came in for his week and he realized what was going on with me and my eating. And he was like, he basically stood in front of the entire group and said to me, okay, your diet is from Satan. It's going to make you never be able to like, you know, be in fellowship with anybody. It's going to make you judgmental. It's going to make you, you're never going to be able to connect with anybody. You can't eat like this. You are going to stop and you're going to eat normal like everybody else. And he made me sit down in front of everybody and eat a piece of cake. Mm. And I literally like, that was the moment that I think I went from part-time anorexic to full-time anorexic. I was like, no one will ever do this to me again. Like no one will ever, ever tell me what to eat ever again. And it was just like this, this thing happened. So they took away my money and they were like, okay, you're just going to eat like everybody else. Like, we're not going to reimburse you anymore. We're not going to buy you fruits and vegetables anymore. And so literally for the rest of the like five weeks, I think of the school that I was there, I just like, I, I don't even, I'm not going to say what I ate because I don't want to like feed into anything, but like, basically I didn't eat breakfast. I ate what very little fruits and vegetables were um, available at lunch and what very little fruits and vegetables were available at dinner. And I just made no compromises. I was just like, Nope, fuck it. Like I won't do it. And for some reason, I don't know why I didn't have money. Like, I don't know why I didn't tell my parents. I don't know. Like there was like so much miscommunication. Like there were things that could have happened. Like, it's not like we were poor and my parents couldn't like give me some money so that I could have some food. Like it was just like this very odd situation. And so it was like, it was also really funny because some of my, um, uh, classmates knew what was going on. Like everyone knew what was going on, but, and like a part of it was, I was like, look, like I haven't eaten like church food, like, uh, pasta casseroles with ground beef and meat and dairy and all this. I'm like, I haven't eaten this stuff in literally years. I'm pretty sure I'll die if I put this stuff in my body. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, I am not going to have a chronic stomach ache for the rest of these five weeks just because someone has decided what, right. I was like, I'm not doing this. So it was really cute. So like my friends would like, give me like packets of dates. <laughs> One time I found like, like some carrots and, and apricots on my bed. Like it was like really cute. Like people were trying like the best they could like, but everyone had their own stuff going on. Right. So I lost like 10 pounds basically in this. And so by the time I get home, I've lost like 10 pounds and I'm feeling like really good. I'm like, yeah. Right. And I go back home and I go back to church and everyone's like, Whoa, you look great. Like what's going on here? Like, like I kind of like leaned out, like my face looked a little prettier because I'm all like thinner and whatever. And, and it was really funny. I just remember one of my friends when she went on her DTS, like basically everyone that goes on a DTS gains like 10 to 15 pounds. Cause it's just so emotional. Right. And you're eating because there's nothing else to do, right? Like there's so much free time and you're so emotionally overwhelmed and overstimulated. And obviously no one is teaching you how to deal with any of these things. Like, it's just like, I remember sitting with one of my classmates in the DTS and she was having a really, really rough emotional day. And she had a, a box of lucky charm cereal and a thing of milk. And she was like, so at the beginning of our conversation, she's sobbing like the ugly cry right? Like snot dripping down her nose, like tears, uncontrollable (laughs) crying, right? While she's eating her cereal and I'm watching her and she's like crying to me and talking to me and then eating cereal. And with each subsequent bowl of cereal, 
she mellows out a little and mellows out a little. And by the end, she was pretty docile. And I remember sitting there going like, holy shit. Like I just watched what emotional eating is. Like Mm -hmm. I know this in my bones now. Like I just watched someone totally turn off what they were feeling Mm -hmm. via her eating. And I was like, I will never do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be that. Like, I will never use food to shut off my emotions ever again. Anytime I'm feeling anything, I'm going to face it because I'm not going to be that. But of course, then I took it to the other extreme and just like didn't eat. So, so I get home and basically I'm like revamped in my raw foods diet. I got my dehydrator and all this stuff back. But then, so I start making like gourmet raw foods again. And I realize I'm like, I don't feel as good as I did when I was eating just fruits and vegetables. Like when I was in New Zealand, all I had was fruits and vegetables and avocado. And so then I'm at home making like crackers and like granola and nuts and seeds and gourmet raw foods again. And I'm like, this doesn't feel as good. Like I'm, and I'm kind of like gaining weight and I don't, I was like, no, I have to go back to how I was eating when I was in New Zealand. And then basically for the next year, that was like, that was when anorexia took hold. So I, I didn't have a whole lot going on in my life. Like I took my holistic nutrition diploma at the time, ironically, (laughs) while I'm plummeting into eating disorder. So literally I'm like walking on the treadmill, having eaten nothing that day, reading about how much fat you need to be a healthy individual and literally thinking in my mind, that's true, except for me. Mm. I don't need that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like losing weight, losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. Um, taking my holistic nutrition diploma. I got that done in six months. Like I got like a hundred percent. Like it was really, it, I was a whiz at nutrition. And then I had a job in a kitchen. So I'm working physically all day. So I'm getting up, going to work, not eating all day, like physical job, walk home, have a little tiny salad, have a melon. And like, that was my life. Mm-hmm. And so that was my life for basically a year. And then when I was 19, my mom finally courted me and was like, look, we don't know what to do here. You're incredibly underweight. You're very sick. And like, of course, like all the mental stuff going on to you, like I was a crazy person. Like one minute I'm totally fine. The next minute I'm triggered and I'm flying off the handle. Um, I just, I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't do anything. Like if someone invited me out, I like couldn't go because it was like, destroy my schedule like I remember one time every Friday I went for groceries with my dad at four o'clock and one day he's like okay we have to go at 4 30 today I can't go at four and I was like I can't like we can't do that like it has to be at four like that's because that's how like regimented my life was like every day was groundhog day every single day was the exact same day everything had to be exactly the way it was like I had I like I say classic anorexia right like specific plate specific knife specific ritualistic way of eating food like everything was I was classic right and so they got to the end of like they had tried like prayer and like sending me to people to like intercede for me and and I was just like I just thought all of it was bullshit like even though I was like a very very strong believer in Christianity and I totally believed in Jesus like it was like I had a relationship with Jesus there was still this level of like, you guys are all idiots and you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know. Like there was just something inside of me that was just like, yeah, this is nice, but you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. None of you have your lives under control. Like, what do you think you're going to, what are you offering me? Like, really, you guys are all just as crazy. You're just fat instead of skinny. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was just, that was my thing. Like I was just kind of like, 
I don't see how you don't have an eating disorder, but that was in my, my mindset then. Right. So she took me to, um, uh, triage center. And so I was basically there for like six hours while they did all these like physical tests, mental tests, emotional tests. I like, they had me talk to a psychologist and they didn't weigh me. They just asked me what my weight was. So I like, I totally lied. Like I said, I was like at least 10 pounds heavier than I actually was. And they were like, yeah, okay. That's a really low BMI. And I'm like, that's not even true. Like, and I just like, I still remember just being like, you guys seriously don't know what you're like. You don't know what you're dealing with here. Like, I'm not going to tell you the truth, but anyways, so they do all these physical tests or whatever. And they say, okay, you need to get a family doctor and then he will refer you to an eating disorder clinic if that's what needs to happen. So we get a family doctor and he said, okay, because of the way that the eating disorder clinic stuff works in Calgary, Alberta, where I was living at the time, they're like, they prioritize children. So 17 and below. So they said, there's a good chance that they won't call you for at least six months, <laughs> right? Because, because they need to take care of children first. And I think that makes total sense. And I think that that's exactly mm-hmm. how it should be. And I would never fault the system on that at all. Right. Because it, of course children deserve the priority, right. Mm-hmm. By the time you're an adult, I don't know. It's, it, you have more free will choices, I think, in my opinion. But when you're a child, there's so much going on there. I don't know. So I was like, fine, great. And, and again, like in this, I, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, I have an eating disorder. I'm definitely, but there was another part, right? In order to have an eating disorder, you had to be living in quite massive denial. Mm-hmm. And I was in quite massive denial. I was like, yeah, it's not that bad. And so that happens. And then the eating disorder clinic actually ended up calling me two weeks later. And they were like, okay, you need to come in. Mm-hmm. And the reason was that my heart was shutting down, my liver was shutting down, my kidneys were shutting down. Like I was in, like I had an irregular heartbeat, like it was scary, I guess. And so the fact that they called me within two weeks should have alerted me that there's a, a problem here, <laughs> but that still didn't really do anything for me. And so I went to the eating disorder clinic for their kind of like intake day by myself. So I drove myself there, like just like just going to the eating disorder clinic and I'm there all day. So they do like you, you see a couple of different psychological doctors, you see the nurse, they do all the, and then at the end of the day, so I, I was there for literally six hours. And at the end of the day, you sit down with a psychiatrist and they basically give you the results of your kind of like day of testing. And then they're going to give you kind of a plan for moving forward. So they said, okay, well, Yes. You meet all the criteria. You're under, you're very much underweight. You like your test results are, you're all out of balance and things are starting to shut down. Um, psychologically you are having an eating disorder. Like I was basically like, if you look up anorexia in the DSM, I I was everything on there. Like I'm the classic case. And I actually say to people, you know, I kind of feel like me and anorexia were star cross lovers. Like it would have taken, I don't even know what it would have taken for me not to have gotten an eating disorder. Cause I, I was just that girl, right. The overachieving perfectionistic, overly sensitive, and then misunderstood outsider who thinks way too much, as in, I still don't believe that about myself, who thinks a lot, is very aware, but doesn't have a method of knowing what to do with that. Like, I didn't have tools. I didn't have, like, okay, yeah, you're hypersensitive. You walk into the room and you feel everything that's going on with everybody else. That's not your stuff. 
right? There was no filter. I didn't have a filter. So I've learned all these things about myself later, blah, blah, blah. But so in the time, they're like, yeah, you're classically anorexic. And then they're just like, okay, but before, but they said, before we give you the results, before we say like, yes, you're anorexic or whatever, what do you think we're going to say? And I said, I think that you're going to say that you think I'm anorexic. Mm-hmm. As in like, I was not even really willing to admit that these psychiatrists and doctors knew what they were talking about. I was like, I think you're going to say that I'm anorexic, but that doesn't mean that I'm anorexic. Mm-hmm. It just means that that's what you think. <laughs> right. And they were like, yeah, okay. So they said, they were like, okay, if you were 17, you would be having no choice right now. We would be admitting you right now and you would be inpatient and that's, that would be the end of it. And they said, but because you're 19, we can't make you do anything. You are an adult and you can make your own choices. And they said, so if you want to come into the inpatient program, we will have you, um, but we cannot support a vegan diet. You will have to eat dairy. And I sat there and I was like, fuck no. Like basically like there was just like no, nothing in my mind. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. And so I was like, nope, I'm opting out of that. Um, I will come to nursing clinic every two weeks so that you can check up on me. And then I will like, you know, register to have a, a, an appointment with the psychiatrist every month or whatever, whenever they can. Cause like basically outpatient is just like, we're just going to monitor you physically and you might get a coaching session like every month or two because the psychiatrist is so busy. Um, and that was that. And then I went home and I, I don't even think I told my parents what had gone down. I was like, well, they're just going to like, let me go to nursing clinic every two weeks and that'll be what we do. And they're like, okay, good. Right. Cause like to them, they're like, good. It's taken care of. Right. We don't have to deal with that. And so for the first couple of weeks, I didn't do anything about it. Like I told everyone that I was increasing my calories. I told people that I was going to eat more and I just didn't, it was a lie. <laughs> right. And I mean, when you're in the eating disorder, you're incredibly manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be intelligent to be anorexic. Like, I think that's just kind of my thing. So I was like, right. Like to the point where you can convince people that you're doing something that you so very blatantly, obviously are not doing <laughs> right. Like how I managed to word manipulate my way into every, like I could like convince my doctor that I was fine. Mm-hmm. Like mom, my mom remembers taking me to doctor's appointments and going in, being like, good, the doctor's finally going to tell her what she needs to hear. And we'd walk out, and she'd be like, what the hell did you just, did do? You just do? Like, like, how did you just convince the doctor that you're healthy? Like, that you're fine and you don't need to do anything. And I was just like, well, because I am fine and I don't need to do anything. But, right? Like, you're so manipulative. And and then I'm going to did nursing. Did you realize clinic. that you were manipulating? Or were you convinced yourself? Like, I think it's convinced yourself is kind of like a hard thing. It was more like, this is what I needed to believe because I just wasn't ready to let go of it. Right. So it was like, I, there's always a level where, you know, you're shitting yourself. Mm. Like, I think, like, I don't think I ever really believed that I was healthy. Cause I mean, like I wasn't, I was sick and I was tired and I was weak and I was bald and like things were not going well, but I was thin and that's all I had to hold on to. Right. Cause at least I was there and the numbers on the scale kept going down and that was all that mattered. And so, right. Like I just, I wasn't ready to let it go. I'm going to nursing clinic and they're like, you're going to die. You're going to die. Like you need to change. And I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to die. Like, I just like, you totally have this complex of like, 
yeah, that happens to other girls, but I'm fine. Like, I don't feel like I'm dying. You know, like, I'm not like, I'm still going to work. I'm still talking to people. Like I drove myself here. Like dying people can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I just like, there's this thing. And then, so what happened was I was out for a walk one day because I was very religious about my exercise. And I remember, so there was just kind of like this moment of clarity, essentially, where I'm walking and I just get this, like, this knowing. And again, so this was completely non-judgmental. There was no fear attached to this because that was other things. Like any other time that I kind of like would have flashes of realizing that maybe I was sick, it would be so horrifying that it was like paralyzing. And I had to go back into denial because those were my, like, I didn't know how to handle the paralyzing fear of like, yeah, you're dying. Like more, like your uh, mortality, right? Like realizing your mortality at 18, 19 you know, I don't know. I couldn't grapple with it. So I was like, mm, I'm just going to go back into the map. So there was no fear. And it was just like, okay, here's the thing. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. And that's it. That's how it's going to be. Right. Like there is no way around it. You can't keep going this way and expect to live. This is just the bottom line fact about it. And they said, or you can get better. And you will have a really cool life. And then at the same time, so have you ever played like a video game where you get to like the very top level and then you die and you have to go all the way back to the beginning? Oh, sure. Right? Like that feeling was like, ugh. Like I've already been through this and now I'm just going to have to go through it all the way again just to get to where I was. Mm -hmm. And so I had that feeling about dying. It was like, there was this very like deep understanding that it was like, it wasn't like I was going to die and then get to do something else. It was like, if I passed away, it was like, I knew I was just going to have to come back and do the exact same thing I'd already done. And I was like, already, like, I was like right there. And I was just like, to die right now would be such a waste of time. (laughs) So like that, that was literally the revelation it was like I don't want to have to come back and do this again I've already suffered for 19 years I don't want to redo that like I I yeah like I don't want to redo that and I just know that if I came back I wouldn't get to come back at the next level Mm -hmm. I'd start all the way at the beginning and I was just like holy shit I'm not doing that so that was literally the that was the first turning point Mm -hmm. where I was like okay well I'm not gonna die I don't want to have to start over again so I went home and I made myself hummus and steamed broccoli. And I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm done this. I'm going to eat. And then, so basically for the next six months, I just like, I quit my raw foods diet. I went totally cooked food. I like, I overhauled my whole diet. I, I, and I did it all by myself. Like no one helped me. I didn't have a nutritionist. I didn't have a coach. My parents weren't helping me. Like I cooked all my own food and I never missed a day. Like I never missed a day of eating. I never went back to restricting and it was horrible. It was like worse than the disease, like recovering from anorexia, that first little bit where you lose anorexia body, but you still have all of anorexia mind is so much worse than at least having anorexia body. You see what I'm saying? Cause there's no comfort. So I gained 50 pounds in three months. Like, it was my body just changed and I swelled and I was uncomfortable and it was awful. 
And so I did it though. I was like very committed. And so I get all the way to like 130 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is my worst nightmare. I can't believe this happened. Right. Like I'm all the way back to where I was. And at the same time, I'm realizing that everything, like all the pain, all the hurt, all the shame of, of myself and, and just thinking that I'm a terrible person and this, the world is so messed up and there's nothing I can do. Blah, 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 that's all still there. Mm-hmm. None of that went away, even though I felt like it had because I was so distracted in my eating disorder. Right. So as I start not being able to starve anymore, which was basically my vice, right. That's my drug of choice was starvation. Um, all of this comes back and I have no idea how to deal with it. Plus now I have an eating disorder. And like, that was, that was basically my life. I was just like, I have no tools for dealing with any of this. And now the one tool that I had is gone because it's killing me. I can't keep doing it. And so for the next basically three years, I lived in that zone where I was essentially relapsing over and over again, like trying to go back on my raw foods diet, cutting my calories, over exercising like a crazy person, but still having a life. Like I wouldn't let myself go back to like anorexia life. So I like got a boyfriend. We moved um, from our hometown to a whole new town. Um, I got, like, I left Christianity, started getting into like spirituality in the Vancouver movement, getting into yoga. I did my yoga teacher training. I had a job. I was going to nutrition school. Like I had a whole life, but in the middle of all that, I'm still trying to starve myself. I'm still doing all this stuff and nothing's working. Like my body would not budge. I stayed at 130 pounds for like three years Mm. and hated it, hated every minute of it. I was still completely anorexic. I just didn't have anorexia body. And one day my sister sat down with me and she was just like, look, I know you and I see you. I know what's going on. You put on a brave face for everybody else, but she's like, you're still starving yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're not you're like, she's like, you know, you're getting into preaching self-love. You're getting into preaching, taking care of yourself. And like, you're trying to be all this positive person for everybody else. And she's like, but you don't do it for yourself at all. Like you don't let yourself rest. You don't let yourself have pleasure. You're on a schedule. Like every minute of your day is filled. And she's like, and you're starving yourself. Like, this isn't healthy. This isn't working for you. Like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, and you're also constantly like, trying this way of eating or this way of eating, or maybe do this or maybe do that. It's like constantly changing. And every single time my body doesn't do what I want it to do, I flip out and change everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was still doing the raw foods diet, but like high fruit, high fat, no grains, no greens, all greens, juice, blah, blah, blah. like I'm doing everything. Right. And she's just like, you just need to pick something. You need to stick with it. And then you need to do, like deal with the rest of your life. Like mm-hmm. stop changing your diet, stop fiddling with your exercise, stop doing all that. Just like pick something, stick to it. And that'll be the end of it. And so I kind of tried that. Like I took what she said and and she was right. But again, I don't think I was really ready yet to like fully get that. So I tried to like, you know, increase my calories and just eat a normal amount of stuff. But again, my body, like I just hated it and I hated eating and it was like this whole big thing. So then in 2012, my boyfriend and I go to Thailand for the first time. And so like at this point I had again, right. All, in the midst of all of this happening, I'm realizing how much I don't like normal life and I'm never going to be a normal person, right? Like I'm working my job, going to school, 
And every day is like Groundhog Day. Like just to make ends meet, you basically do the same thing every single day. Like I go to my job and it's like a retail job at a yoga studio. So literally you're doing the same tasks every single day. Like it's like a reset, right? And then every day I shop for food, cook food, clean the house, eat, exercise, and then you do the whole thing over again the next day. And I was just like, this isn't living. This isn't li- this is life maintenance. Like mm-hmm. all growth has stopped here mm-hmm. because everything that I'm doing is just to maintain the thing that I have. And I was like, you know, like I have so much more that I want to do in my career. I have so much more that I want to do in life. Like I want to travel. I want to do all these things, but it's like, but this is not it. Like this is, I can't do this. I can't do this life. And so I'm starting, I started to kind of like dream. Right. And in this time I was like, you know, I really want to work online. I wish that I had an online job so that I could not have to like work and then quit my job to go travel, spend all my money and then come back to make money and then do that whole thing. I was like, I don't want to do that. I was like, I want to, cause I want to have a meaningful career. I don't want to just be a waitress so that I can travel. I was like, I want to be doing something. I want to be helping people. I've got my nutrition thing. I've got my yoga thing. I've got my Reiki thing. I've got like, I'm qualified, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know how to get into this. Blah, blah, blah. So I, t- I tell the universe that I want an online job, which is like ridiculous. Cause I'm so, so technologically not advanced. <laughs> like I, I still, for the first year, I told people that I worked on the internet. <laughs> like I didn't even say like, I have an online job. I'm like, Oh, I work on the internet. And it's like, but that's like, no, I don't actually, I don't work on the internet. Like the internet, I'm not like building the internet, but like, you know what I mean? Like this is how like not, I feel so, so basically, um, very serendipitously, I ended up getting, um, a job with an online company called the young and raw, which people may have heard of. It was a pretty big deal. Um, so Shalina, the owner of young and raw had, come to the cafe that I worked at. So I worked at organic lives, a raw foods cafe in Vancouver. Um, and I met her there and I got obsessed with her and I, and then one day she put out that they were looking for bloggers and I had had a blog forever. I'd always been writer. And I was like, okay, well I want to be a blogger for you. Um, and maybe that could like get some like traffic for my blog at the time or whatever. And I sent her four blogs. She's like, these are great. Like, these are really great. That's awesome. You can write for us anytime you want. And I was like, okay, well, also I'm a holistic nutritionist. If you ever need help with like meal plans or whatever you're doing, let me know. She's like, well, actually I am making a program and it would be great to have help with the meal plan. So she thought that she'd like hire me for a one-off, like I'll just help her with the meal plan. Mm-hmm. And then basically just like slowly turned into a, like, no, you're hiring me. So I started, so I became kind of like her, her kind of customer service assistant at first. Mm-hmm. And then the regist- like the holistic nutritionist, resident holistic nutritionist, taking care of people in the Facebook groups helping her write programs and all of a sudden it becomes my job and I can quit everything else that I'm doing and I'm working online. And so that, that was like, Whoa, my whole life changed, right? Like I started to become a little bit more in control of my life. And then, and then, so then in 2012, we go to Thailand and this had another, that had been another dream of mine forever. Right. So, so, and then, so this was like the big turning point of my life basically. So we're on an Island in Thailand I'm sitting here with the love of my life. Who's like, I, he, yeah. Marcus is just like so much a part of the reason why I think that I recovered. Cause he just like, he was unconditional 
to me. Mm. He, he, there was just, he just like adored me. And like for a long time in our relationship, I couldn't figure out why he, like he loved me so much that I was just like suspicious of him. <laughs> like, I was just like, I don't, I don't understand this because, and I was trying, like constantly trying to earn it. So like I cook for him, clean for him, like doing all this stuff for him because I just like did not feel worthy of the love that he was giving me. And like, I couldn't receive it, but I knew that it was there and it was very overwhelming. And, but so what I could let in, I let in. And of course I adored him and I thought that he was the perfect thing. And I, I just like, couldn't believe that we were together. And so we're in Thailand. I have this online job, which is awesome. Like life is really moving in a really good direction for me. And we're sitting there and like, literally I'm eating the most delicious watermelon that's ever been like, cause in Thailand, the fruit here is like out of this world. Right. And so that had been a dream of mine, like fresh tropical fruit, being like a Calgary, Calgary girl who like every, like the winter, everything tastes like plastic, like to have like real fruit with the love of my life in Thailand. Like I'm sitting overlooking the ocean. I have no responsibilities right now and I'm miserable. Like absolutely. I may as well be in prison. Like I may as well have been, I don't even know, like in your worst nightmare. Because that's how terrible I felt inside my body. I'm just like, I, like, I hate my body so much. I hate myself so much. I can't enjoy this. And I sat there and I just like had, again, like this, just like very, like this understanding came to me that it was like, okay, I've been struggling with this since I was 14. Mm. The only time I ever was like at a weight that I liked was when I was sick and couldn't have a life. So I was like, there was always like this hope that like the next diet would do it for me. The next thing, the next thing, like there was always something else I could do. And then I just had this, I was like, what if this never changes? Like, what if this is just how my body is? Because like, literally I've been struggling at this for now 10 years mm-hmm. and I'm no closer to where I want to be than I was at the beginning. I may as well be back at, in grading, eating cookies on the couch because seriously, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I've gone through all of this. I've tried all these different things and I'm still no closer. And then I remember my grandma talking to me about going on a diet before her trip to Mexico. And she was in her seventies. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that shit never stops. You don't grow out of it. If you don't do something, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to be 70 and talking to my grandkids about losing a couple of pounds before I go to Mexico. I was like, no, I'm not like, I was like, I do not want that. I don't know how to not be that. My mom was that my grandma's with that. My aunt's with that. Everyone I knew was that like all the adults in my life are on a diet. Every woman I ever knew was struggling with it. Didn't like themselves, whatever. So I don't know that this is possible, but I'm just like, there's no way I'm just not going to do that. And so I, so literally I sat there and I was like, something has to change inside of me because my body might never change. I was like, if I want to be happy, it's, it's inside of me. Cause like I said, right. Like as much as I believe that I'm in control of my body, I'm not, I can't make it be what I want it to be. I've tried all of these things and nothing works and nothing has worked. And so it's ridiculous for me to think that something is going to work. Really. If I look at the evidence 10 years in, I would have figured it out by now. Right. I've done everything. And in my mind, I had, I had done absolutely every diet. I had tried every lifestyle. I thought I was on the best one. And I was like, right. I'm not willing to go back to eating meat. I'm not going to try the paleo thing. Like, you know, I had ethical 
qualms about things. It wasn't just about that. Like I wasn't willing to sacrifice what I believed in. And I was and like, well, anorexic body too. Right. At one point. Yeah. yeah and that wasn't I, it either. No, exactly. And that, and that was another revelation. I was like, when I was sick, I wasn't happy. Like I, I was like, I couldn't, I was like, I'm not going to bullshit myself into saying that I was happy then I was skinny. So I had that, but I was miserable. And I knew that I was miserable. I was trapped. I was trapped either way. And so I literally went and I got a massage and I intuitively picked Yulang Yulang essential oil. Having no idea the energetic properties of it or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to go into this massage and I'm going to release this. I'm going to let this shit go. And I'm going to start different. I'm going to change. And I was just like, I, so for the entire massage, I'm like, I release this. I just like, I release whatever this is. I don't know what's going on. Like really like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just know that I'm letting something go. And then later I find out that Ylang Ylang is the essential oil of release. Yeah. And like literally so the, the massage therapist was a Thai lady. So we didn't speak to each other because she didn't speak English and I don't speak Thai. And at the end of the massage, I just said, which is thank you. And she was like, yeah, <laughs> like she was like, like she could tell that something had happened. Like her reaction to me was just like, okay, like, bye. Like it was, and I didn't say anything to her. I wasn't doing anything weird. It's not like I was like talking or anything. And this was all mm-hmm. going on inside my head. I was just laying there still. And like, I just feel like she could tell that something had happened. Mm-hmm. And so I get home from, from our trip to Thailand and I'm like, okay. And this is where essentially this is where the perception diet came from. Mm-hmm. I don't know how all of this came to be. So this is the thing I started meditating. So that was like, I already had meditation in my life. So periods of time where I just sit still and receive. Mm-hmm. So that was to me what meditation was just calm, but asking questions and, and asking for answers because prayer had always been a thing for me and I expected answers. So this is, I think the first key is that I always expected to be answered by the universe. Mm. When I was Christian, I expected to be answered by Jesus. Like there was never a doubt in my mind that if I asked a question that I would get an answer. Mm. So I think that that's the first thing that's very important is that I had unwavering faith in my own intuition, which I know at the now that's what it was. But at the time it was always something outside of myself but I knew that the answers were there and I knew that I could get them. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is the first really important thing for recovery from any kind of thing that makes you feel terrible in your life Mm -hmm. is to just know that if you ask questions, the answers are there and you can receive them and they will come to you. So like, this was the thing is like, I was looking for the solution. Mm-hmm. Right. I was, I was fully and completely committed to the fact that there was a solution. I didn't know what it was, but I could find it. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I think that that's the first thing being open to hearing answers and expecting to get those answers. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first thing that I have to say. Second thing is, so I'm doing a little bit of meditation. And so the first kind of revelation was like, okay, I, w- I watched a Teal Swan video. No, okay, so this actually came to me first, and then the Teal Swan video kind of reinforced it. I sat there, and I was like, okay, what would I do 
if I already had my ideal body. So if I'm not trying to change my body, I'm not trying to fix my body. I don't think there's anything wrong with my body. It's exactly how I want it to be. How do I want to eat? How do I want to move? How do I want to live? Right? If I, if there were no consequences, so I'm not wearing like, well, is this going to make me gain weight? Is this going to make me gain weight? Maybe this will make me lean. Maybe this will, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, if I already had it, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm not doing any crazy exercise. Like I was working out a ridiculous amount doing heavy weights and running and da, da, da. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. All I like is walking and yoga. Those are the only kinds of exercise I ever want to do ever again. So I quit everything else and just started doing yoga and walking and that was it. And then I was like, okay, well, how do I want to eat? And I was like, well, these are the foods that I like. And it, they were fruits and vegetables and I liked juice, but I also needed salt and I needed seaweed. And I need, like, there were things that, you know, in the 80, 10, 10 movement, you're not supposed to have and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, screw that. I'm having whatever I want. And so I maintained a raw food diet, but I, I added in some things that were like, you know, contrabandish in that way of thinking. Right. And then the second thing was I said, okay, if I already had the body that I wanted, I would never say anything terrible about my body. Mm-hmm. So I made the rule that I'm no longer ever allowed to say something negative about my body mm-hmm. because I also had this revelation that I was like, I don't want to be the girl that every time you have a conversation with me, eventually we get around to how fat I feel mm-hmm. and how I wish I could lose weight. Yeah. Right. And especially with my sister, like every time I talked to her, I'd be like, Oh, look at my stomach or look at this. Or did I gain weight? Do I look me? Do I look swollen? Blah, blah, blah. Like that was like our groundhog day conversation. Yeah. And so I was just like, I was like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not allowed to say anything negative about my body forever. Mm-hmm. And for the first two weeks, that was like the most excruciating thing ever. Like I, I remember sitting there and my skin, like I felt like I was like, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Like, I just wished that my sister would, like, bring it up being, like, you look kind of puffy today. Mm. Just so that there would be some, like, release. Yeah. But I, like, wouldn't let myself, wouldn't let myself. And I eventually got to this point where I sat there and I was, like, Sam, I just want you to pay attention to me. And I was, just, like, okay. Like, mm. this is good. Like, when I take my coping mechanism away, some truth came out. Right. Right? And, and later, as I started to kind of, like, again, like, go deeper, go deeper, not let myself do my coping mechanisms, but really look at what's really going on with me. It was like, there was this part of me that is very theatrical. Mm. I'm very, um, I'm just that kind of person. Like the, the light of the party. I I like it when people are looking at me, Mm. but I had developed this belief that, that, you know, that's not good. You shouldn't take up all the space in the room. You need to be meek. You need to be quiet. You need to be humble. And it's not okay to take up a bunch of space. So it's not like I stopped taking up space mm-hmm. when I shut myself down like that. Anorexia was just my shadowed version yes. of this kind of like theatrical stage, stage personality that I have. Because mm-hmm. I felt so bad for asking for attention. I felt so bad getting positive attention. Mm-hmm. I felt so bad about all that stuff because like all my conditioning growing up was don't embarrass me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do something great, you better be really great. And then be humble. Don't talk about it. Like we would even like, you know, like my parents were so concerned about us staying humble that we would go and do like dance performances or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, yeah, you were good. But so-and-so was also good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they they would never be like, yeah, be really proud of yourself. It was like, good. You didn't fuck it up. 
Yeah. Like that was basically the biggest praise we ever got. Right. So it was like, I just subconsciously learned it's not okay to like expect praise. It's not okay mm-hmm. to take up all the space in the room, whatever. Like, and so these were like mindsets that I had. And then I'm realizing that you never get rid of this stuff. Right. It just turns shadow. If you reject it, right. If any part of yourself that you reject is just going to turn into shadow. So like mm-hmm. anorexia was just like a huge representation of every part of myself that I had rejected and denied mm-hmm. and thought that I could get rid of, but it never got went away. It just comes out shadow. So instead of being positively big and loud, mm-hmm. I'm negatively taking up all the space in the room, right? I'm wheeling myself down to nothing so that everyone has to look at me. Like, right. Like when I walk into the room, I know that everyone's looking at me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You see, like there's all this stuff going on, but it's because I'm saying, okay, I'm taking my coping, taking my coping mechanisms away, taking my coping mechanisms away. There's all this stuff coming up and I'm slowly learning to deal with it. So then the next phase in this journey is like, so I'm, I'm acting as though it is essentially like living Before like I already because I was waiting for this. I knew you were going to bring this up. This what what would I do if I if I had my ideal body or how would I how would I react? Yeah. The first time I heard you say that, I loved it. I was like, oh yes, that's everything. That's amazing. And I say that in other ways. Yeah. However, um, there would have yeah. been a time in my life where I would have heard that and I would have said, well, okay, if I had the perfect body, I would be eating this way, this way, this way, exercising this way, this way, this way, because that's how I got to the perfect body. Like that is how I would have interpreted that. So how, yeah. how do you carefully ensure, particularly with people that you work with, that they don't take it that way? Right. Okay. So the way that I describe it is this, is it's more coming from the feeling that you don't have to change what you've got, mm-hmm. right? Because again, what you just said is, this is what I would do to get to the thing that I want. Meaning I don't already have it. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? I'm saying, no, you act as though it's already here. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the way that I did this was I would visualize myself being inside my ideal body mm-hmm. and what that felt like. Okay. So here, so again, I don't know. So while this process is happening to me, I don't know that this is what's going on. Okay. So this is why I'm saying I don't, I'm not so concerned about people taking it the wrong way and applying it that way at first, because I didn't know what I was doing either. Mm. And it all came together for me. So Mm -hmm. I trust in the benevolence of everyone's higher self. Mm -hmm. And even if you take it the wrong way, that's okay. Because you're going to take it from wherever your consciousness level is at right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I understand that. So for me to come to you and be like, okay, the reason you do the ideal body meditation is because it reveals to you how you want to feel. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with your body. It's never had anything to do with your body. You can feel how you want to feel no matter what you look like. Right. And what you're going to show yourself is how you want to feel. Cause like, if I come up to someone who's anorexic and I'm like, well, how do you want to feel? And they're gonna be like skinny. And I'm like, well, what does that feel like? And then you're gonna be like, well, it feels light. Okay. Well, what is lightness to you? What, what do you really mean? Like, why do you want to feel light? Well, cause it feels like I'm worthy and it feels like I'm special and it feels like I deserve to be here. It's like, Oh, so you want to feel loved. You want to see, feel seen. You want to feel heard. You want to feel validated. That's not a physical sensation. 
right? But we are so disconnected from ourselves and what we really want and what's really going on. And like I say, especially women, we're taught to not tune into what we want. Mm-hmm. That's not important. It's what do you give? How are you serving? How are you, like, what, what are you providing for the world? Mm-hmm. Not what do you want, right? Mm-hmm. And so you start with, pretend you have this ideal body, which is the all important thing, right? It is. It's absolutely everything, right? We all know it. When you have the ideal body, you'll be happy, right? right? It's the truth. So imagine it. And then, so, you, so I was sitting there imagining it, sitting there imagining it, sitting there imagining it, and I would feel amazing, right? I would feel so good when I'm imagining my ideal body. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, this is how I want to eat, and this is how I want to move when I'm in my ideal body. And then I open my eyes, and I look down, and I'm like, this sucks, mm-hmm. right? And so I go back into, like, hating myself. But I'm still living as though I've got it. Like, I'm still, like, trying to do the things that I knew that I needed to do when I was, like, in that space of already having it. Right. And treat like saying the things to yourself that you would yeah. want to hear, even though exactly. in your initial reaction, when you look down as a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then that's another thing too. It's like I said, okay, I'm no longer allowed to say negative things about myself. And every single time I think a negative thing about myself, I'm just going to think the opposite. Mm-hmm. So I remember, so every time I would walk by the mirror, the initial gut reaction is Ugh. Mm-hmm. right. And I'd be like, no, you look cute. Mm-hmm. You look cute. And I'd put my shoulders back a little and I'd be like, no, you look cute. You look cute today. I was like, okay. And so I'm doing this. And then eventually I'm sitting there in in my meditation and I have this revelation. I'm like, okay, I'm equating feeling how I want to feel with having this ideal body. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling myself, I only feel that way when I have my ideal body. And then I was like, but when I'm in my meditation, my body isn't magically transforming itself into something different in actual 3d reality. And therefore I can feel great. And then as soon as I open my eyes, my molecules re reestablish themselves as this body that I hate. I was like, this is just a figment of my imagination. My body is staying the exact same way, but I'm being able to access the feelings that I want to feel. Yeah. That you think is only accessible when you get that. Right. Yeah. But I was like, I can feel that way right now because I've practiced it enough times. I can put myself in that feeling. I know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And then I, so I, I did it with my eyes open one day. I was like, okay, I'm not going to use the body as my anchor for how to get into that feeling place. It's like, I've practiced it enough times with the visualization. Now let's take the training wheels off. Let's see if I can feel that way without imagining my body being different. Mm-hmm. And I could do it because mm-hmm. I had practiced I had practiced over and over and over again, right? So I knew how to feel worthy. I knew how to feel good enough. I knew how to feel these feeling states that I wanted to feel because I had been practicing them. And I did it with my eyes open one day in 130 pounds and was like, hmm, okay, I can do this, right? And then another thing happened is as I'm practicing this mirror thing, every time I look by the mirror, I say, you look cute. You look cute. You look cute. One day I'm walking down the street and I caught my reflection. And before I even like registered that that's what had happened. Cause usually it's like, you know, when you're coming up to a mirror, so you're planning to say something nice. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I caught my reflection off guard. Didn't see it. And my knee jerk reaction was, Oh, you look cute. Yes. And I was like, and I was like, Holy shit. Yes. Like I changed my neural circuitry. Like my knee jerk reaction 
when I look in the mirror now is something positive. Right. And I love that you put it that way because that reinforces the importance of practice because I think that people get really over. I'm like, Oh, I don't have to practice that. Like, why can't I just slip a switch and love myself? But essentially like we're practicing all the time and we're practicing saying shitty things to ourselves. And so like we can't flip the switch. Yeah, exactly. So think of your brain like a dirt road. Okay. We wear ruts in our brain with neurocircuitry because our brains are amazing at pattern recognition. We need that, right? If you had to think it through every single time, okay, what do I do when I come to a red light? If you had to think that through Mm -hmm. every single time, we'd never get anything done. If we didn't have these dirt roads, these ruts that get worn in our brains, we would be completely inefficient. We didn't, right? Every day we'd be doing the same thing over and over and over again because we'd never learn, right? Mm -hmm. So So it is with your thoughts. Yeah. If you practice thinking shitty things about your body, it's going to be easy to do that because it, it wears that neural rut in your brain. And it's just a pattern now. It's just a habit. It's not true. So here's the other thing. We believe our thoughts too much. Mm -hmm. So overly identify with that are because I'm thinking it, it is true. Yeah. So, so right. So I'm practicing how would I be if I already wanted, if I was already the person that I wanted to be, I'm no longer allowing myself to scapegoat my emotions onto my body being that I don't let myself talk negatively about myself when I'm feeling shitty. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I have to get at like, no, I'm actually just feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling stressed. It's not my body's fault. I don't feel fat. That's not a feeling. I feel sad and I feel tired and I feel like I want someone to pay attention to me and I don't know how to ask for that attention. And that's why I feel so agitated right now. I love that you said that fat is not a feeling. That's really important. And it also reminds me of what you were talking about earlier, how when you first went on the raw food diet, you felt so good. So all of a sudden you didn't like, you weren't hating on your body anymore because you felt good. There's so much to be said for shifting our state, whether it's with what we're eating or what we're thinking or what we're believing about what we're thinking. Yeah, exactly. So that was like, so there's those two things. And then the third thing was I became willing to question everything. Mm-hmm. I became willing to question, is the raw food diet really the thing that everyone says it is? Is veganism really the thing that everyone says it is? Is it really true that this is the only way? Is it really true what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Am I my thoughts? Where are these thoughts coming from? Mm-hmm. What are my emotions? Where are my emotions coming from? What's driving me? Like, why can't I sit still? Right. So then I got to this place where, um, I'm doing this, I'm doing these things, I'm doing this self-awareness, I'm meditating, da, 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 da. And then we get to a place where, um, we moved to Montreal, me and my partner, Marcus, Mm -hmm. and he, so I'm working online part-time. So only four hours a day and he goes to work all day. We we're in the middle of Montreal. I don't speak French. I'm not really a very social person anyways. Um, so I don't have friends. And it's the, it's the middle of winter. So we're in the tundra. And so you don't even want to go out. Like, I don't even want to go out for a walk. Like I'm basically in the apartment all day long for hours and hours and hours by myself with no real, like, I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV. I don't do it. I don't have entertainment. Mm -hmm. I, so I'm like, right. I was like in this isolation cave basically. And I, I, I realized that I still had this, like, oh, there's not like, I always got to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Like I can't just like sit still. 
right? I always got to be on something so I can do meditation, but that's because it's like, you know, I'm doing my meditation. It's a, it was a, it was still work, right? It was still accomplishing something. I do my yoga. I do my meditation. I do my work. And then I have four more hours until Marcus comes home. And then I'm like, okay, I could totally like, and I would get this just like overwhelming, just like crazy feeling when I didn't have something to do. Like, I just like, I feel crazy. Like I got to go eat or I got to go pick at something or I got to go cook something or I got to fill my time with something. And so one day I was like, you know what? This feeling has been chasing me my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter how busy I am, how calm I am, how great life is. It doesn't matter what's going on. This is still here. Mm -hmm. So I was like, so today I'm just not going to run away from it. I was like, I'm not going to let myself cook. I'm not going to let myself, you know, busy myself with some project. I'm just going to sit on the couch. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to feel this feeling. Mm. I'm just not going to run. Okay. So I did it. So I sit on the couch and I'm like, just for however long this takes, I'll be here with this. And the anxiety and just like the intensity of the emotion got so strong that I was convinced that my heart was physically going to stop. Like I really was like, I, I was sitting there and in like at the kind of peak of it, there was a part of me that was watching it go on. And I was like, I'm either going to die from this. And I was like, and I mean, like, I was like, it's been chasing me my whole life. If it's going to kill me, I guess I may as well let it kill me. There's no point in running or something awesome is going to happen. So I just sat and I sat and I sat and I sat and I sat and then something broke. And it was like, you don't feel worthy of ever receiving anything, do you? And I was like, holy shit. I had no idea that that's what I thought about myself. Like that I just felt completely unworthy of ever receiving. And that like, I was constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. If something good happened to me, I was waiting for the punishment. Mm -hmm. And that was why I was so busy all the time. I was constantly running away from reality because I was so afraid of reality. It like, I really had this mindset that it was like either something good is happening to me and then that's going to get taken away and it's going to be really painful or something shitty is happening to me. And that's really painful. So my, my entire worldview was that reality sucks. And it was just like, just to even become aware of that, you're like, okay, like, I can't believe that's what I think about life. And I've been running and running and running and running because I'm just, I just believe that everything is horrible. Right. And I'm trying to convince myself that I don't believe this, but that is what I believe. Right. So that starts to happen. I start to just sit with my emotions and they reveal to me what's really going on. And in that, again, you start to get clarity awareness in and of itself, almost all the time is curative. Mm -hmm. So this is what I want to say. If you've got self-destructive behaviors and you're saying to yourself, I know why I do this, but it, you still can't stop yourself from doing it. You don't know why you're doing it. Uh You don't know. You still don't know. Cause if you knew there would be change. Right. So let's bring that to binge eating specifically, because I work a lot with binge eaters. I am a former binge eater of many, many years. Um, Yeah. Two things. 
one, I, I loved what you said about just sitting with it. It, it, this feeling builds up and feel like you're going to die. And this is what binge eaters feel like. They feel like they're going to die if they don't shove something in their face. And it's this overwhelming, but it's, it's temporary that feeling. It doesn't kill you even though, but you can accept the feeling. You can accept the thought that it might, you might have to, to get through it. Um, and it lasts a period of time that in the long run is very small. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that you said that. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. And also, and I've heard you talk about this in other videos with your sort of like picking at food, how you got, got through that, because this also applies to binge eaters. Yes, exactly. Cause again, what you're doing is when we're picking at food like that, you're numbing out Mm -hmm. or shoving food in as the case may be for some of us. Right. That is how we shut it off. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I knew that. I've wa- like I watched myself do that. Like I watched yeah, myself. Most binge eaters do. Most binge eaters know yeah. that they're numbing. They even they're know numbing. what they're numbing. Yeah, What's exactly. Eating, like you said. So, so this is how I I suggest that people deal with this. You come up with the fifteen minute rule, which is okay. I really feel like I want to binge. I really feel like I want to pick at food. I really feel like whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some very strong emotion going on here that I don't want to feel. Right. The drop. So. I would even say that there are definitely people out there who have binge and that they're not even aware of the emotional stimulus. Mm-hmm. Like they don't come online as in becoming aware of themselves until the urge to binge is there. Mm-hmm. They're not even seeing that there's an emotional thing that's happening before that. Mm-hmm. Like this is the thing. Some of us are so disconnected from ourselves. We don't even come online until the self-sabotaging behavior is like, that's what's bringing us online. Yeah. So again, remembering Everything you do has a positive intention. Mm-hmm. Your binge eating has a positive intention. You're not doing it to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. It's what you know to do right now. That's your best case scenario. So stop beating yourself up for doing that. That's what you know to do right now. You're not a bad person. You're not trying to hurt yourself. To you, in your mind, somewhere in there, this binge eating is the lesser of two evils. Because you believe that the emotion is going to kill you. You believe that that is so much worse than whatever you're going to face after the binge. Because you know how to face the thing after the binge. You know how to do that. You know how to do that whole drama cycle of, I'm never going to do this again. And then you make a plan and then you go on a diet and you feel really good for a couple of days. And then you binge and then you do it all over again. You know how to do that cycle right? That's completely predictable. And you've survived your emotions every single time by doing that. So your brain thinks this is how we survive emotions, Mm -hmm. right? We're not going to try something different. We're in a state of complete fear. And when you're in a state of fear to your brain, that means you're under physical duress. Mm -hmm. So if binge eating and doing that cycle is what you do to your brain, that's how you survive the physical threat. Right. And it's easy too, because you, like you yeah. said before, it's that rut all over again. You've practiced it. You've done it over and over again. You know how to do that. You know that it's going to work, right? You've never once died from your negative emotion while you've been in your binging. Right. So it works, right? So you got to coax yourself into a state of safety before you're ever going to be able to change anything. Mm-hmm. So this is why trying to change your binging behavior just sets you into a new fear zone, which makes it impossible to change. If you've ever watched The Biology of Belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton, we know you cannot make changes when you're in a state of fear. And the second you try and fix yourself, 
you go into a state of fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why I preach self-love the way that yes. I do. It's not flaky. Okay. This is the and most hardcore thing. James right self-love um, as different from self-improvement. Because self-improvement yeah. is not self-love in any fucking way. Yeah. And I hate self-improvement. Yes. <laughs> and I am, I, 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 I want to burn every self-help book because if, <laughs> the second you tell yourself there's something wrong with me and here's what I have to do to fix it, mm. your brain goes, attack, we're not safe because you're already in a state of fear. You're already in a state of fear. And then your brain hears there's something wrong with me and I have to change. Your brain's mm. like, fuck no, that we're already in a state of fear. This mm. is how we've been surviving it. We're not going to try something new. We don't know that's going to work. You might die. So it puts on the brakes even harder. Every time you try and stop your binging behavior, it gets worse. You know this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Self-improvement doesn't work. Right. It's- and well, it's like some part of us too already knows that we want the self-love. We're just going the long yes. route because I'll love myself yes. when I'm better at this or I look like exactly. this. I've done this. Exactly. Go to the self-love first. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, you're never going to get there, right? You're, n- you never get there. So like, again, ask yourself this question. You've been trying to get to be the person that you can love. For how long? Mm-hmm. It's not working. You might not ever get there. You might never become that person that you think you need to be before you can love yourself. So does that mean that you're just going to hate yourself for the rest of your life? Because these are your two options. Love the person that you are now or hate yourself for the rest of your life. Or keep believing that there's some magical thing out there that you're going to discover off in the future that's going to turn you into this magical person that you can love. Right, which some people will spend a lifetime believing yeah. or looking for. Which is fine. But again, look at the evidence. What does Albert Einstein say about insanity? Mm. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Just because you're trying a different modality every time doesn't mean you're doing something different. Right. It's all the same. Right? Yeah. You're trying to fix yourself. That's so the same thing. If somebody... If somebody has ceased trying to fix themselves, ceased fighting yes. themselves, how do you get them in the yes. moment with their binges? So you're in the moment, you're wanting to have a binge. Number one, again, you acknowledge that this behavior, you don't fully understand why you're doing it. Because if you did, that awareness would be curative. Okay, so that's the first thing. You admit to yourself, I don't know why I'm doing this. Second thing, you admit to yourself, the more I engage in the behavior, the more I'm not going to know why I'm doing it. Cause it's my coping mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. The person who's addicted to heroin is never going to figure out what's really going on with themselves while they're still on heroin, mm-hmm. right? That's why we detox people. We don't try and deal with the heroin addict while they're high because everything's suppressed. And that's the point of it, right? So then you say, okay, I want to binge right now. I may be aware that there was emotional stimuli. I may not. I don't know when I came online, but I am online now. I know that I want to binge, which means I'm tuning into myself on some level. Okay. Because this is an opportunity. That's what this is. The need to binge is like my emotional guidance system. My GPS system is blaring so loud at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like sounding the alarm, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. There's something going on here that's out of alignment. Right. And my desire to binge is again, it's like a last ditch effort on behalf of my emotional guidance system to get my attention so that I'm not just barreling through and continuing on. 
right? It becomes that unbearable because your, your higher self is trying to trip you up. It's trying to stop you because mm-hmm. there are things that are going on that shouldn't be going on. You got to understand that. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't understand that. I don't know what that is now. If I did know, I would know, right? Mm-hmm. But because I don't know, I don't know. So I'm going to give myself 15 minutes to sit with this feeling. If at the end of 15 minutes, I still want to binge, I'm allowed, mm-hmm. right? You don't tell yourself you're going to take it away. This is my coping mechanism and I'm not taking it away from myself. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give myself a 15 minute window where I'm going to sit with a pen and paper and I'm going to conscious stream writing mm-hmm. everything that's happening in my head, everything that I'm thinking. So you start with, I hate my body. I hate, but I just want to eat 45 chocolate peanut butter cups. Blah, 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 blah. You write all that stuff down. What after about the first couple of minutes, like after five, six minutes, if you don't take your pen off the paper and you keep writing you're eventually going to start to get to some things that are actually going on with you. Okay. So that's the first thing you do your 15 minutes of just stream of consciousness writing. And then you give yourself 10 minutes of something else pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Anything, take a bubble bath, go for a walk, call your friend, anything that feels like pleasure to you. So I'm going to give you an example in my world. I did playing Sudoku on my phone mm-hmm. and watching episodes of Glee because I love the singing. <laughs> okay? So it can be as embarrassing as watching Glee. Okay. I, I put that out there every single Is that time embarrassing? I have this- <laughs> 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 But I mean, you know what I mean? Like just whatever it is for you, that's, that's not making yourself a better person. It's not making you, it's just fun. It's something that's fun for you. Right. Mm. And then, so you do that 15 minutes, you do 10 minutes of something fun. And then if you still want to binge, binge, right? That's it. But you've done the work. So then every single time you want to binge, you do this. So you're not taking it away from yourself. Binge is just step three. That's it. You just have to do the writing, do something fun. And -hmm. if you still want to binge, binge, do it. Okay. But but just knowing that every single time you do this practice, you're going to become more aware. You're going to become more aware. And eventually you will reveal to yourself what's really going on. You will start to get to like root issues of what's going on with you and root beliefs. And then again, this is the thing. You don't have to believe everything you think just Mm -hmm. because you have a belief doesn't mean that it's permanent. You can change a belief. You have to practice change right? You have to become aware of how the old belief isn't serving you, right? So even just like at the very beginning, just the belief that I'm not worthy unless I'm skinny. Okay. Well, that's a shitty belief that makes you feel shitty. It's not serving you. You think that it's serving you because you think if I keep believing this, eventually I will become skinny. Like this is what we think. Yes. There's a tiny part of it that feels good. We're scared. If we love ourselves the way that we are, that we're going to stay this person that we hate. Yeah. But how does that make sense? If you love who you are, you don't hate yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So the experience you will have of yourself when you love yourself, even if nothing else changes, will be a completely different experience, Mm -hmm. right? If you keep hating yourself, you could change all these other things that you want to change and you will still hate yourself. Yeah. So the body, perfect job, perfect life, you'll still hate it. So the opposite is true. If you love yourself, nothing has to change and it will feel 
better. This is something that is like, right. It, this don't let your mind convince you that if I love myself in this body, I'll never have the body that I want. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yourself, if you love yourself in this body, you'll be in the body you want. Yes. Oh my God. I'm going to tie it up right there because that was so perfect. Yeah. And such a succinct yeah. wrap up of it the core of what I want to say. Um, thank you so much, Ali. This is absolutely magical. I feel like I'd, I could ask you a billion more questions, but we may have to do a part two someday. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, this, this was fantastic. Where can people find you and what do you have to offer? Okay. So, um, find me on my YouTube channel, I think is the main place. So perception trainers, PT at like on YouTube. Um, I have a website perceptiontrainers.com. Um, and so I do, I blog every Monday and then I post my videos there. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram, Ali underscore perception trainers. I do daily post inspirational stuff. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. And then Facebook perception trainers. And then I have, so I have my book, the perception diet, which mm-hmm. I think, yeah, if you're struggling with any stuff, like these are the tools, right. And it, it lines it all out. It explains it all. But again, remember, you have to practice. You can't just read the book and do the things one time and expect to be healed. It's a practice. You do it over and over and over and over and over again. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and then I do one-on-one coaching with a few people. Um, I don't think that's for everybody. Uh, it's a, a pretty intensive thing. And I don't really work so much with like eating disorders, body image stuff, like so much. I'm definitely more of a like, okay, like, what do you want with life and like what's really going on? So like, it's, it's an, it's an intense thing. Cause I'm not going to, I'm not going to help you fix your diet. I'm going to be like, why do you want to fix your diet? You see what I'm saying? It's, right. it's going to give you a meal plan. I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't play on that level because mm-hmm. um, if people are ready to grow, that's when I guess one-on-one coaching is great. If that's not what you're wanting right now, um, there are lots of things out there that, will will serve you better than that i think um and then the last thing that i'll say is i am developing a program a 33-day program for for people who are more on that level who want like okay like i want a meal plan i just want to learn how to start meditating how to start tuning into my feelings because i understand that everything that i said even in this video like this is advanced stuff Mm -hmm. just sit with your emotions that's a huge thing there are a lot of people who are not ready for that step And there's nothing wrong with you if you're not ready for that at all. Okay. And we work up to it. So I've written a 33 day program and I will be launching it soon. Um, So you can um, email me about that if you want to be on the list for when that comes out and it's going to be, it's meal plans. It's just simple mindfulness stuff. Like it's just getting you started. Like, where do I start? If the perception diet is like way too over your head, this will be a, where we start. Okay. Awesome. Cause like, so, so the, and the, so the last thing that I want to say is start where you are, wherever you are, that's perfect. Start where you are and do just one little level above that. Don't try and jump to complete self-awareness mm-hmm. from, I don't come online until I'm halfway through the binge. Mm-hmm. Don't expect that of yourself and because the journey is the journey, right? It's taking me like 15 years to get yeah. to where I am essentially from the start of it to now. Right. And, and I wouldn't go back and do it again. As in like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything. I would go back and do it again the exact same way. Yeah. Because I am where I am because of the journey. 
you went to the journey. So just you. remember that your journey is not the thing that's in the way of you getting mm. where you want to go. The journey is the thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. It is not the obstacle. And you don't have to look at the whole journey all at once. Don't. Just what's happening. Don't. Do what's <laughs> in front of you. Yes. Right? Right in front of your face. So that's that. Awesome. Yeah. You are the coolest. I appreciate you so much. so much for listening to this conversation. Before I wrap things up, I want to invite you to come join the private Free Spirit Academy Facebook group where I post videos, offer support, and answer questions on all things food and body freedom. And you'll also get a free copy of my ebook, The Eat to Feel Good Diet. I hope to see you there.